0: Hi, this is Michael Waits, and welcome back to the Asia Tech Podcast. This is the only podcast in Asia focused on insurance that gives entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and investors a platform to discuss how technology is reshaping the insurance industry in Asia. This episode of the Asia Tech Podcast is brought to you by Uncharted. In this rapidly changing environment, the ability to operate your business online is mission critical, powered by Uncharted's core insurance and distribution platform, Carriers and brokers now have the ability to launch new distribution channels in a matter of weeks and any product through any channel in any market in just days. If your core insurance technology isn't providing your business with an enduring competitive advantage, visit the team at www.uncharted.global or email info at uncharted.global to speak with them. I am joined today by Alex Leung, a co-founder of One Degree, Alex, it's great to have you on the show today. We were talking before we started recording. How are you doing today?
1: Doing well, and thanks for having me, Michael. It's great to be here.
0: It's a complete pleasure. Let's just jump right in. What do you think is the biggest trend in insure tech in Hong Kong, and by extension, in the rest of Asia?
1: Yeah, I think Hong Kong, very much like the rest of Asia, there's a rise in prevalent adoption of various e-commerce in the region. And the digital and online channels for insurance services are also becoming the norm and new standards that customers are coming to expect. But, Michael, however, in this world, insurance products, pricing, and digital user journey are now much more transparent and easy to copy, right? So in order for insurers or insured techs alike uh, to maintain these competitive differentiation. Uh, we must turn really turn focus to service experience, operational efficiency, and go much deeper into the ecosystem verticals to develop unique service offerings for customers and establish new partnerships to tap into the micro moments and triggers for acquiring and servicing these customers. So I find these to be the biggest trends right now.
0: That's a, there's a lot to unpack there, Alex, and I want to get into that. That's actually the most important and interesting part of this, right, is that the industry actually is really changing and it's changing really rapidly. Before we do that, I want to back up a bit. Can you share a bit of your background for our listeners? So in the
1: founding of One Degree happened uh, three and a half years ago. So when Elvin and I actually first met up, was back, in I, I still remember very vividly, it was back in May or June 2016. And I just suddenly received a, a LinkedIn message from, from Alvin uh, out of nowhere and saying that, hey, I want to meet up. And then so we, the two of us met up at a startup, Starbucks and started chatting about new ideas and how how the service experience with all technology that's being used in insurance right now, especially out in Hong Kong and Asia, is not fully being tapped into. And let's figure something out. So we started this crazy idea to start a new insurance company and an t- insured tech company, uh, for that matter, to really try to change the game here. So we founded a company in august of 2016 ever since then um now we grew to a team of about 100 folks oh, wow. uh, with yeah with offices in hong kong and taipei so fundamentally our business model is that we have a licensed uh, virtual insurer in hong kong that's uh, working on very interesting things across pet insurance health insurance and cyber insurance and we also have a technology company in which that collaborates with other insurers as well as those uh, ecosystem partners uh, who are interested in the insurance space.
0: This is it's very ambitious, obviously. We <laughs> joked a little bit before we started recording that it sounds like you're running two startups. It may be more than that, actually, it seems like to me. Have you, have you or Alvin, I presume Alvin is your co-founder, yeah? Yes, Alvin is my co-founder. Have either of you ever worked at a startup before to get that experience of what it's like building something from scratch?
1: Yeah, both both of us actually have some startup experience already. Um, and for myself, I've been in startups ever since 2012. Okay, and so been doing a few stints at various organizations and really accumulated a quite a lot of experience and diversity uh, during that time. So my background is I have always been in consulting for the longest time and yeah. as an actuary mm-hmm. and. <laughs> and I dabbled, and eventually during my uh, MBA, while I was going through the uh, UC Berkeley program part time, that's when I started dabbling into the startup world and and really navigating through more healthcare as well as insurance startups. Uh, doing some on my own, the first thing that we were building was a nursing home platform. And from one thing to lead to the other, I joined Collective Health, which is an insurtech startup that's doing very successful in, in, in the U.S. right now. And from there, I came back to Asia for personal reasons. Uh, since my family and my wife have been doing long distance for a very, very long time, for, for, <laughs> for six, seven years. I, I w- yeah, and I still wasn't planning to actually relocate to Asia uh, only until my son was born. Um, then, then I really decided to take a plunge and make the move back. And so that's, that's really exactly when, when I left for Collective Health and came back to Asia, was working as a consultant with the World Bank, doing quite a lot of interesting consulting work with uh, the Chinese government because there's a lot of health reform on the infrastructure, governance, and technology aspect. Got it. And leading And one thing leading to the other, um, building a network and connections. Then I met Rosalind at CXA. And so decided to, to work at CXA for a bit as well and uh, looking after the regional consulting and the analytics aspect. And so it was when I was at CXA where Alvin and I got connected to form the new venture idea.
0: What was it like working at CXA and like, what could you learn from your time there? Obviously, a very famous, I don't even know if you'd call it a startup anymore, right? They're based in Singapore, I presume?
1: Yes, uh, CXA is headquartered in Singapore and now with a uh, presence in multiple offices across the region.
0: Yeah. Well, like, what did you learn when you were there?
1: Yeah, what I learned really is much more on the tenacity as well as people management, as well as the growth and paying a startup that, that's facing at various stages. It's very similar to the time when I was at Collective Health, too, just kind of gone through from, from the very beginning phase. Uh, even at the putting furnitures together phase and <laughs> <laughs> yeah awesome. so so it, it's kind of the same thing that you know i think for for each startup that we kind of go through that phase of like ordering from Ikea and putting on the screws <laughs> and putting furniture together i think I think it's the is the best team bonding experiment uh, ex, uh, experience that one can have really together um but 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 all joking aside is really the tenacity that you see in some of these leaders when you're working in a startup, as well as their ability to react and adjust, that's really the key lessons I really picked up as we we're working through the various startups and kind of culminated to um, how we are launching One Degree and growing the team to this day.
0: Yeah, I mean, Rosalind does spend a lot of time talking about just how hard it is, not just running and building CXA, but just being her. Yeah, it's hard. It seems like really hard work. It is. Can you talk a little bit more about One Degree, right? So you founded this company. You actually got a virtual insurance license in Hong Kong. Were you one of the first groups of people to get one of those?
1: Yes, we were. We're the, the third in receiving the virtual insurance license. So there had been two that were before us and then uh, one right after us. So Zhong An recently got their virtual life insurance license yeah, in yeah. Hong Kong. And for, for us, we had a virtual general insurance license and before us, there was Avo and Bowtie. Um, so it's, it's really a lot of things that are happening in the Hong Kong market, which makes it even more exciting.
0: Right, but Avo is interesting, right? Because Avo is not, and I hate to say this, but it's not like really a startup, I guess, like you are, because Avo is also part of a bigger company, yeah?
1: Yes. So, so Avo does have uh, Asia Financial Holding, which is Asia Insurance, yep. that is working very closely together and collaborating. Um, so, it is a bit of different. We are the only independent technology company that were to receive a license under the fast track scheme that the Hong Kong Insurance Authority has rolled out.
0: Yeah, that's, that was one of the things that really impressed me, actually. And can you talk about your focus? You said it was what? Pets, healthcare, and cyber. And can you talk a little bit about the pet thing, right? Because it's a big differentiator. The health insurance and cyber insurance, people do do, although I want to get to that too. But why the focus on pets?
1: Yeah, so we when we start to explore ideas or figure out the right business model for entering the market as an entirely new brand in an already saturated and very competitive market such as Hong Kong, right. we, we found that pet insurance, even though it has been around in Hong Kong for over a decade by other insurance provider, but it's a much underserved market and there's a much uh, latent demand that's really unaddressed. So the products out there in in the past has really really been pushed out by the insurance intermediaries, agents, and brokers. However, because the the nature of pet insurance, the premium dollars and the premium level is relatively lower, the incentive for them to sell is also very low, right? Right. So it's kind of of like an orphan product that no one really cares about in the market. But there's a huge demand for it in Hong Kong because there's a lot of of very passionate pet parents Mm -hmm. in Hong Kong. I can imagine. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and and so with that that we see this wow okay this is a big gap and let's create really good products that makes it easy and it's not really competitive against the, the existing market from the sense that we're not creating any agency channel conflict um and and we really surprisingly after we launched this recently we started driving this wave of uh, news as well as more awareness to to the market and. And we see all the competitors actually now is all stepping in and stepping up the game on the pet insurance side, which is great.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting, right? In other words, you're leading the market into this one particular vertical, right? Where everybody kind of knew that there was this latent demand there. Hong Kong's a really interesting place, right? Because it's highly concentrated, and, I'm also, and also because the insurance industry there is very mature and has been there for a long time. Yeah, somebody I think once told me. One in every 700 people in Hong Kong is an insurance agent or broker. I can't remember the exact number. But when you, you, are you originally from Hong Kong? Uh, for me, so I I was born in Taiwan, but
1: I was schooling in Hong Kong for a few years before my family immigrated to the U.S.
0: Got it. Okay, because you said come back to Asia. So I just wondered where in Asia that was, right? It's not – it wasn't clear to me. Like I feel – I'm pro- I bet I'm probably more Asian than you are in some respects, because I've lived here for 30 years. Anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not kidding, by the way. Anyway, but but it's very heavily brokered in Hong Kong. But the idea of like starting a brand new company there from scratch, getting that virtual license, and then leading the market into that one particular vertical, right? it just me- must be fascinating for you to watch that process and think, we're going to just run by all these incumbents and like initiate this vertical. That everybody knows that there's demand there, but nobody wanted to do it. And you called it what? Like an orphan product, in a way. And everybody's jumping in. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Exactly. And and it's really actually exciting too, because as we are working on this product, we found that there is quite a significant amount of businesses of who well as the partners as interested to kind of jump in together. <laughs> and there, there are a lot of insurers even are reaching out to us on exploring ways of collaborating on jointly distributing or pet insurance product. I, I would say not necessarily distributing, but more like cross promotion with the pet insurance product as they see it as a huge opportunity for them
0: as well. So I'm, I'm really curious about this, right? I talk to insurtechs all the time and when they go out to raise money, I want to talk about your capital raises maybe a little bit later. When they go out to raise money, people that know the insurance industry, but also people that don't, right, that don't understand like why we need Insurtex, always ask them, how are you going to compete against Allianz and, you know, AXA, whatever these big insurance companies are? Why is it so hard for them to innovate internally? And they say that to me too, right? I talk to the insurance companies as well. Why is it so hard for them to innovate internally? And why do they want to work so hard with you and other companies like yours? Why don't they just do it themselves?
1: Yeah, I think one, one really key aspect to it is really the speed. Um, so there are st- tremendous amount of expertise and experiences Sorry. within these insurance companies. I mean, massive, and right? Massive. Yeah. Exactly. And they do have, have quite a lot of capital. But whether they can deploy the capital efficiently or fast enough into these investments, that's an entirely different thing. Um, and, and Michael, I know you also come from a corporate background from yep. before. Yep. So, so for any big project, they need to write up a very really long and detailed business plan, right? And seeking money from regional or even, like, on the international market level, right. depending on the organization. Yep. So there, there's, there's layers and layers of approval. And um, kind you kind of go around having everybody to kiss the ring <laughs> <laughs> before the project can take off, right? Yeah. So there's, there's a bit of that going on. And in a partnership model where there's much more of a aligned interest as well, sometimes that insured tech startups are willing to do more, uh, even on lowering the initial barrier. Um, the initial barrier could be cost, could be people, could be the technology. Then you, you make it the concept of doing much more of a proof of, proof of concept and testing out new ideas much more attractive. And so now you kind of facilitated that environment and ecosystem of insurance companies are willing to actually partner with other insure techs.
0: Yeah, it makes perfect sense to me. I mean, I know this, right? Particularly from, like you said, my stint at Morgan at Stanley and my stint at Goldman Sachs as well. There was always this constant push and pull. Do we do in-house or do we go third party? We did a lot of tech development in-house. And I think maybe the group in which we operated was much faster at pushing technology through Because it was our business, like that whole business was like a tech business. We were portfolio trading, which meant we had to trade literally thousands of stocks at one time in under like a second. So, yes, the tech was the most important part of the business. Obviously, sales and product knowledge was good. But if the tech wasn't there, no matter how smart we were and no matter how great we were at sales, it simply wasn't going to work. Right. So, I I get that. And it's interesting to me to watch the insurance companies go, we know we need this product, but literally it's faster to call Alex and one degree and get this done externally because then we can push it through as like a POC as opposed to, like you say, having to go all over the world and, and kissing that ring. It's just an interesting concept, yeah? Right. So can you run me through this? You know, you said, you guys say you're the first digital completely from front to back insurance company. And like I said, I know what it's like to build non-trivial technology, but I, I wonder if you can explain to me exactly what that process is like from customer acquisition to getting the right policy to educating the clients and all that stuff. And then finally, all the way, not the end, but like when a claim gets processed as well, just how that whole thing works and how it's different, if that's okay to ask.
1: Yeah, sure. So I would say, from the purchase journey as well as managing policy perspective, a lot of that, even the traditional insurer, they have an online channel and be able to allow the customer to do purchase. There's there's a lot of similarities already, right? And for for that, from that angle, we focus a lot more on the user experience from both the UX as well as the UI perspective, mm-hmm. um, and trying to make things more transparent, communicate more, and guiding the user really through the journey, really, really within. Within a few minutes that they can actually uh, have a policy issue to the mailbox already. Got it. And and for us, we really drive that as our own KPI internally, that any of the products that we launch, we set a KPI it has to be completed less than three minutes from beginning to end. And we are continuing to kind of press on that KPI in the sense that for some products, we want to even push down to a minute. Right. and that's just really one one side like you said of the entire insurance journey so once the customers onboard it we make the managing policy very easy so that they can manage all the contact information cancel the policy seeking uh, to add additional policy or changing certain terms it's all it's all very much self-service that that's what you would be expecting like now these days with any e-commerce as well as banking relationships yeah. so now this does really this new standard there. And for for claims, that's really the unique part in which that, unlike other players or pet insurance companies or providers of pet insurance, what we're different there is that we don't only have a customer app, but we also build a portal, an application that's for the veterinary clinics and hospitals. Okay. So all our partner vets and hospital, they also have a portal in which that they submit the diagnosis information, medical information related to the, the cats and dogs that they see. And these information are all bridged within our own insurance core system, which is built from scratch by One Degree colleagues. And that's where we're really driving much more of the automation on the claim processing. Okay, So from a technology perspective, is we do a lot of automation, both on underwriting um, as well as the, the claim processing, which is to alleviate the headcount as well as increasing our capacity For servicing customers so we place an increased amount of service to our customers while really leveraging technology to increase our efficiency
0: how does this work at the pet no sorry at the pet care places right at the veterinarians offices this is a big differentiator to me in other words i haven't heard an insurtech say this before right so you acquire a customer i want to talk about that in a second too but you go into a veterinarian and say we can help you with what like why would they install it does it help them schedule patients to come in, does it help them track their own records as well, so that even if they're not using the insurance side of it, they can still track their care and stuff like that? How does that work? Yeah, this is a very good question, Michael. So in terms of incentive-wise,
1: there's a bit of a collaboration on that we are directing traffic to these our network partners, and they are cross-promoting um, in the sense where we are pushing for better care within the market, um, because a lot of veterinarians and clinics and hospitals, at the end of the day, they, they care a lot about the, the pets as well sure. as the pet parents, sure, sure. right? And and we also are driving efficiency for them in the sense that for Hong Kong and very much elsewhere within Asia, where there's a pet insurance product. The claim process is very manual and it's a whole bunch of claim forms. So the, the customers, the pet parents have to come in to a visit to bring the claim form and uh, the vet assistants would be have to, would be the ones that actually have to manually look up information, completing right. them. And so what we have done is also kind of taking some of the pain out of the process for, for completing the claim form on behalf of the customers. We make it that a lot of information are pre-filled, yeah. auto-completed and Seeking very minimal information as possible, or right? In- integrating with the existing system they have one right. um, to streamline the process. So that that's the second part, and the, the last part, you're you're exactly right. There there's also quite a significant amount of uh, veterinary clinics and hospitals actually don't have much a practice management software. Yeah, I wouldn't think so. Yeah, and so all the medical records are on paper. So so this kind of serve as their mini electronic medical record system, if you will, that now all the patients that they see will be having this medical records on diagnosis, procedures, as well as even the the cost that's related to the patient that they would be able to view the history.
0: Did you stumble upon that? In other words, were you just out doing market research or did you have this, what's the right word, this holistic idea of if we provide a mobile app or a desktop app to the, what do you call them, to the pet parents, right? But we also go to the veterinarians and say, we're going to connect those two things together and make your life easier. Or did you, were you just talking to vets and they were like, look, this is so hard for us because we have no way to you know, understand and maintain records for all our stuff. And most of it's not digital. Most of it's like handwritten. And did you then have the epiphany idea? Or was this part of your holistic idea from the beginning?
1: Yeah. So for that, it's certainly a lot of the research that we have done on the ground. So both interviewing the pet parents as well as going out there and meeting with the owners of different clinics and hospitals and really understand both sides pain points. And mm-hmm. and what we found very most commonly and how, how we the genesis of this idea is really that the largest pain point in the industry is on the transparency of the information. Got it. Okay, so there's a lot of disputes. Uh, sometimes that may occur uh, because of the misunderstanding between the pet parents as well as the clinics on what is some, what has been submitted to the insurance company, for example, on a claim.
0: Yep.
1: Right, so with the bridging of the transparency on what the pet parents is expecting or what is submitted on the receipt and what the clinics actually submitted to the insurance company, everything can, is contained within the customer app that we have for our, all our customers with our pet insurance product. So, so there's no, nothing that's hidden, and the communication is very clear. So pet parents can always check that, oh, okay, so at this visit, the, my, my vet actually said, oh, this is a diagnosis and procedure, and these were the costs. Are these the same as what I expected from what I paid and what, what I'm expecting that the uh, insurance company would be responsible for in terms of payment and covering my claims? Yeah. So it's really driving that transparency is really critically important.
0: When I was uh, talking to one of the tech companies in India, they said that they're trying to do insurance for bicycles, and you'll see how this is related in a second. And one of the things that they were trying to accomplish from a customer acquisition standpoint was doing what they called point-of-sales insurance, right? In other words, you'd buy a bike, and then the bike salesperson would say to you, you know, do you want to pay this amount of money for insurance for a year, for two years, or whatever it was, just in case your bicycle gets stolen or that you get a flat tire or something like that. Are you also using the vets as like a distribution channel for either point of sales where somebody walks in with, you know, a Great Dane or whatever and they need help and the the vet says, do you have insurance? And they say, no, I never thought that I could potentially have insurance for my pet. Or even at the breeder level where people go out and buy that pet or acquire that pet and then do POS there as well. Like how does that work, if at all?
1: Yeah, so we we are certainly leveraging our partners to be our marketing channel. So so one thing, Michael, for all four virtual insurers in Hong Kong, uh, one of the licensing requirements is that we cannot use any traditional intermediaries in our business. So we must At all. conduct our business online. Yes. So
0: you can't have so you can't have physical agents.
1: We cannot have physical agents. Got it. Right, yep. and so and so for that, um, we we are certainly leveraging, and as you see for the different virtual insurers, we'll be doing the same thing as well. That is, these partnerships become critically important where we are able to market our brand, market our products. It's just that they cannot really be the ones selling our product. Oh. So there certainly would we'll be leveraging the marketing spaces that we have available um, at the pet shops and leaflets that we leave there. That's fine.
0: Got it. But how does it work on the human side, right? Because you also have, I believe, uh, health insurance vertical can you can you use and it sounds weird to do this in reverse, right? but can you use the same sort of record management um claims management software on the clinic side or on the hospital side for humans so that when you go when the humans go to make a claim, the doctors or the nurses or the care providers already have all their data in a digital form as well this is the same way that you do for the vets
1: yes, certainly, and just quite quite a few companies are are in that in that space already you know, even though I was going to say yeah, they are, there are,
0: but they're not providing the insurance on the other side, right? So there's, there's a hook there for you that doesn't exist for the regular healthcare providers or that technology, yeah.
1: Right, right. I think what was, what was really a biggest back gap right now is for a lot of these. That's what, what maybe we would call them a third party administrator mm-hmm. or a panel, panel manager, is that they, they have. A lot of different legacies or integration aspect they have to deal with, with the uh, the human clinics and hospitals, um, and unlike the veterinary clinics and hospitals, much more the hospitals for human, they already have uh, practice management software, a medical record system, but is is very uh, diverse in the the system that they're using yeah. and the the data integration as well as the information sharing is very very difficult yeah. extremely difficult so so much of these TPAs are really facing the struggle is actually how to consolidate information and actually um, making making use of that information in a good way um, but in terms of the servicing customer perspective that as you know very well too that there's a lot of panel arrangement or network arrangement with the, the clinics and hospitals already. So for the human side, the, the game is actually relatively simpler. So you can have a medical insurance card. You just don't have to pay any copay upon your visit or you maybe pay a minimal copay. And the rest is really taken care of. All the claims settled on the back end.
0: Got
1: it. So the experience is really there. Um, but there are still... Quite a significant amount of gaps and pain points that uh, the industry is facing, just like I said on the especially on the data, data front, and and there are a few startups and organizations, even mature companies, are still tackling that problem.
0: Got it. I want to talk a little bit about the capital that you raised. I, you know, the note that I made to myself is why was it not easy, but why were people so interested in in investing? In one degree, even when you were pre revenue, what was the what's the big interest that's driving investment into this space from your perspective? Yeah. I would say raising this amount
1: of money. So we today we raise over thirty million US dollars on a pre revenue revenue basis. It's extremely difficult. Extremely yeah. difficult
0: for <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I didn't I said relatively easy, like nothing's easy in this space at all. It's all in relative terms, yeah.
1: Right, 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 and and unlike uh, other organizations, we don't really have a, a big um, corporate or a big insurance company that's backing us. Exactly. Right? So, as an in, independent startup trying to move into the space, a lot of times I, I, I would say, Elvin and I, through the whole fundraising process, we at least have over two hundred meetings with investors. Of course.
0: And can, can, can I interrupt I want, you there for one second because I want to yeah. I want to make a point about this. I talk to a ton of startups, and most of them come to me and say, I need to raise some money. How long do you think it's going to take? And I always tell them it's a conversion problem in the same way that it is with you know, e-commerce. And I tell them, you have to talk to – if your conversion rate is 3%, you have to talk to 100 people to get three yeses, right? Because you're going to get 97 no's. And if you, had nine, if you had 200 conversations, you probably had five people that were interested – Really interested, yeah. I just want to make this point that it's really hard, and you've just denoted two hundred conversations. Anyway, go ahead.
1: Right, and and for us, the Series A process is kind of like a never-ending process too, of course. right? Um, and I'm not I'm not sure whether you have saw our news too that when we actually close the first Series A, then we also eventually close the A2 round. I saw that. Um, actually, we 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 will have some other good news actually coming up pretty soon too, on the, on the fundraising side. Tell but me. it's a <laughs> <laughs> I, I won't be able to share much yet I, try, yeah, I, try. I won't be able to share much yet so so on that that there there's quite a bit of traction that we build up over time and also with the investor that we accumulated once you open up the door um yeah, yeah, yeah. it becomes easier, but initially i I would say that uh, Michael, I think you' being lenient about ninety seven percent nos and then three percent or five percent saying yes for us it's maybe like the the one well less than one percent that is actually willing to say yes yeah and is really just kind of going over the board and figuring out okay what's the best fit and and what's the really key value proposition why people trust us in this business is because of the I would say one thing is about people um, a lot of times on pre run company what they really care about is the read the people yeah. so people is not really just about Elvin or me but it's really the teams that we have assembled that's also a extremely difficult part as we are tackling this business when we set a venture to become a insurance company. So there is a significant amount of requirement that the Hong Kong Insurance Authority has um, mandated just also to protect the consumer interest as well as um, being able to sustain the business that we need to really have experienced insurance managers within the organization. So convincing these people to join the organization when they have a very nice and stable job is, is another big sales job that, that we had to do.
0: When you first started raising money, Did you realize or did you know you were going to have to talk to 200 people? And was there any point in time when you were doing that, right? Because if you spoke to 200 people, it's likely that it wasn't in the group of first 10 people that actually decided to invest, right? It was probably in the last 20 people. But just at least statistically, I I may be wrong there. But when did you hit a point where you're like, come on, Alvin, we've already spoken to 160 people. How much more do we have to do? Do you know what I mean? Did you have that point?
1: There, there are certain points in which that, yeah, there's a lot of up and down in the whole process, right? Yeah. And that's, what, that's one good thing about in this venture, having a co-founder like Alvin For is sure. like, I, I think our cycles are kind of opposite.
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> which means when you're down, he's up. When he's down, exactly. here, come on, dude, we can do
1: exactly. this. Exactly. Exactly. So so that, that's how we kind of keep going too and, and being persistent. I think it's kind of in our nature and you know our DNA of an organization too that we just don't give up easily. Good stuff. And we just keep knocking on people's door and just don't leave any don't do any doors unturned. We're not open, right? And yeah. so we, we take on as many meetings as we can, and even even people that we never heard of and travel out to places that we've never been to. That Elvin, I, I still vividly remember, like um, <laughs> over I think this is maybe Christmas two years ago. Right. That Elvin and I just like had to make a trip to Singapore for half a day and then fly to Tokyo for another half a day and then make it back to Hong Kong and. We didn't really even stay in the hotel, just really going there for a couple of meetings here and there and just really for, for the farm raising purposes. It's just like a it's one of those experiences that where it's also most rewarding. I just really remember like this is the sweetest thing that, that we have done. Like yeah. um, in the evening after we wrap up meetings in Tokyo that uh, we just went and picked up a couple ice cream bar and just standing on the street in a very cold winter. <laughs> 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 but but that's like really the, the fond memories of the the whole farm raising process, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's awesome, right? Look, I don't want to take up a lot more of your time. I do want to congratulate you on whatever good news you have coming up, and I do want to say this too. Maybe after you make that announcement, you can come back on and tell us what the significance of that the significance of that is, because it sounds like it's exciting. I want to ask you one more question, and I'll let you go. What kind of advice would you give insurance companies, big existing insurance companies, on how to deal with? You, because you must walk in and talk to them all the time. If they're either buying your technology or distributing whatever they're doing with you, how would you talk to them and say we could work together better if X?
1: Yeah. So I really tell people, and as well as any of our colleagues too and partners, is really the best way to manage any disruption is really to be part of that disruption. So, so staying abreast to the new business model and constantly engage in product discovery exercises to export and test new ideas this is kind of what we're good at. So just in the first quarter of this year alone, our team has generated and explored more than 500 new ideas. Wow. And a few of them already made it into prototype and testing. So so a lot of a lot of these, there's actually a co-creation process. We work with our partners. Our partner could be an insurance company partner, as well as the, the partners such as veterinary clinics and hospitals and then pet shops and breeders. Like you, like you said, Michael, a lot of ideas is really through a very much of a validated process. Got it. And... And for if I were to give some recommendations, it was really the most difficult part and the most critical ingredient to manage disruption when dealing with it is really changing the culture and mindset within these large organizations. So being willing to fail fast and often so that we can really ride and quickly capitalize on these opportunities when it happens yeah. is becoming increasingly more important because a lot of these disruptions are happening on a daily now, right? And it suddenly just pop up out, out of nowhere. Oh, it's not on my radar. Now, what do I do? So when we work with our partner, we also talk about a lot on, okay, when we are doing this, what can we see on the horizon? How should we adjust our plan as well as what innovative features or ideas that do you want to really build in so that you can maintain that competitive differentiation?
0: Got it. Look, I do have a ton more questions for you. Maybe the next thing we could do is actually get Alvin on the show. Not that you weren't an amazing guest, but it's always good to get like another, maybe you'll be down that day and he could be up because you seem pretty up today. <laughs> yeah, for sure.
1: For sure. I think you he would love to be on the show. Okay. I want to thank
0: you, Alec Long, a co founder of OneDegree, for coming in and doing this. This was really awesome. All right. Thank you so
1: much, Michael.